G'day, and welcome to the AHDC podcast series, Health Design on the Go. I'm your host, David Cummins, and today we're speaking to David Ross, registered architect and a director at Kepi Design in Scotland. Kepi Design is Scotland's oldest architecture firm in Glasgow. David has been part of several carbon-neutral hospitals, including a new hospital in Monklongs. Kepi Design is world-renowned for healthcare design with a strong focus on sustainability, following the Scottish Government's sustainability targets to reduce carbon emissions. David is also a very successful author and has written over six books of fiction and is an internationally celebrated author. We look forward to talking to David as part of our sustainability series for Health Design on the Go. Welcome, David. Thank you for your time. Morning, David. It's good to talk to you. I must admit, I've met a lot of architects in my time, and I've never met an architect who's an author. I have to ask that question first. How, how did that come about? Well, it came about by chance. About 10 years ago, we were working overseas a lot, but not in fantastic places like Australia, where you've got lots to do. We were in unusual places like Libya and the third, fourth, and fifth tier cities of China. I found maybe like a lot of authors that I had a lot of time in my hands when not working and you're on planes a lot and things like that. It started off really as a bit of therapy, to be honest. I had written some things previously, design articles, and I, I guess writing in English was something that I was quite comfortable with. But I'm doing book festivals now. It's amazing how it's one of the first questions that I get asked, and I, I find it quite unusual. Like People say, well, there's two industries that are completely worlds apart, architecture and writing. And I've never really seen it like that. I think they're very connected. For architecture, you're trying to develop design environments for people. So you're trying to understand people and their needs, regardless of where it is in the world, and develop the correct response and environment for them. And writing, because place is quite an important thing to the writing, the the fiction that I write, you've already got an understanding of environment and you're creating characters that work in in a way where the place is actually part of the story and part of the plot. And sometimes I think I couldn't really have done one without the other. I don't write dystopian fiction or shit that's sent in the future or fantasy or anything like that. I mean, it's very authentic and real. So an understanding of the environment and how it affects behaviour, whether it's fictional characters or whether it's real people, is uh, central to everything I do. Yeah, it's very impressive. You're talking about a lot of the travel that you've done as an architect, and I know Kepi Design, being one of Scotland's largest architect firms, does a lot of international work, especially in the work of health design. I know you guys have been overseas in Asia, the Emirates, China. How important is it for a Scottish architect, or should I say, how important is it for the world to learn from a Scottish architect, knowing how good your designs are on the international scale, especially in reference to sustainability and health? Healthcare expertise is what took us into an international market primarily. We've worked on other sectors and other functions, but I guess it's the one demonstrable thing that we can export. Kepi did the very first NHS hospital design in Scotland 70 years ago. So we've been part and parcel of the development of healthcare in Scotland from the very beginning of that service being set up. And going all the way back to the time of Charles Rennie McIntosh, who was a former principal of the practice, the practice has had an interest in what might be termed social architecture. I mean, we do other things as well. We've got quite a large commercial output. But fundamentally, it's our understanding of how to put 
healthcare projects together and healthcare guidance for a health service that has taken us into places as diverse as Oman or Saudi Arabia or China or even parts of South America. And I think the other recognition really is we are not a massive international practice in terms of some of our competitors, but we punch way above our weight because of an understanding of the healthcare guidance and how to apply that to countries that are perhaps starting to look at how you develop a system that's not healthcare for sale, but an availability at the point of source. So we've been involved in on client side with countries that are perhaps 20 years behind where the UK has been, that are looking at different mechanisms of procurement, whether that's PFI or whether that's private investment or whatever. We've got all of that experience, therefore we become attractive to government or health ministry departments in those countries first and foremost. Very difficult, as you would imagine, very difficult for an organisation the size of Kepi to bid major projects on the other side of the world. But we've done that as well. We've been involved in successful bidding. Our practice won the very first PFI hospitals in Egypt to two relatively small maternity hospitals in Alexandria. And that kick-started that whole expansion and development of healthcare in that country. It's a really broad and diverse portfolio of work. And once we're finished here, obviously, you're going to be contacting us at some point in the future and asking us to do something in Australia, I'm sure. Then certainly on the cards, uh, we've got some pretty amazing architects here, but certainly diversity is something we welcome. I think we've got enough Scottish architects over here already to help with that diversity yeah. card. So that's really interesting. I'm no expert in Scottish law by any means, but I understand that the Scottish law or Scottish government has the power to actually set their own admission targets for buildings. And I assume that includes healthcare as well. So that's quite unique, is it not, to the Scottish region? Yeah, your listeners may understand that there's a bit of tension in the UK at the moment about whether Scotland might become an independent country at some point in the future. There was a referendum in 2014, which was very close. And I think following the 2016 referendum that took the UK out of the EU, that was very unpopular in Scotland. Therefore, there's been a push from the governing party here, the Scottish National Party, to rerun that referendum on Scottish independence and at the moment there's devolved powers for a number of things, not necessarily things like defence or overall spending on large elements but for elements of health and education there's devolved powers to the Scottish Parliament and as an add-on to that, the climate change targets and net zero carbon targets that were set by the Scottish Government I think we're a bit more ambitious in the initial stages than the UK government were setting. You're going to ask me what they are. I've reached the age in life now, David, where I've got a terrible memory for figures, but we are aiming for net zero. I think almost all of our public expenditure buildings now, healthcare being perhaps the most uh, significant because obviously healthcare hospital buildings are operating 24-7 and they've got massive energy usage. I guess the feeling from the industry is if we can crack net zero carbon targets in a realistic and meaningful whole life way on a large acute hospital project, then we should be able to hit that target on any building type. Yeah, for sure. And it certainly makes you pioneers in the industry and certainly world renowned. That's certainly how the Australian Health Design Council 
first came across your work. I know you guys worked on a project or a hospital in the Northern Islands of Scotland. And I also know you're working on Scotland's carbon neutral hospital as well near Glasgow. So do you mind just talking us through some of the principles that you've used on the Northern Ireland hospital and this new hospital, some of the principles and how you overcame some of the resistance from not only the users, but also some of the design resistance principles that you just had to overcome? Yeah, the two projects that you're talking about are firstly the new Balfour Hospital in Orkney. Orkney's a small island off the north coast of Scotland, very remote and difficult to reach and hard for building contractors to build there. Obviously, there's additional costs on getting materials to the island, but the Orkney Hospital had been part of a long-term programme that we are going through in Scotland at the moment that is looking at those that are over 40 years old and are outdated. There's a desire and hopefully we are part of that. There's now a desire to try and develop a national vision for healthcare. There's 14 regions of NHS regions in Scotland. So unlike England, when I think there's maybe about 60, that 14 is a manageable target to be able to set consistent standards for healthcare going forward for the next 20, 25 years. And I guess to some extent for us was really the starting point for that process. It was very different from a mainland hospital because the weather and the climate and the accessibility to services like gas anyway is completely different. So right from the outset, the design had to respond to these different climatic conditions. I think it's fair to say that if the hospital is talking about being the first in Scotland to be net zero carbon from an operational point of view, but that wasn't the brief at the very beginning. The brief was fairly standard BRIAM targets at that point, and I think the, the unavailability of gas on the island was one of the main things that perhaps allowed a different type of conversation about energy use to take place. Monklands, as as a contrast though, Monklands is the biggest hospital project, one of the biggest in the UK at the moment actually, never mind Scotland, and it's because of the devolved government targets that we talked about earlier on, it's had net zero carbon as an ambition right from the very beginning, built right into the brief. So in that case, rather than just the understanding of a whole operational philosophy with the Balfour producing a carbon neutral outcome, Monklands has net zero carbon as an aspiration and ambition from the very beginning. Now, that's a challenging thing for the government and everybody else involved in the project because net zero carbon is an ambition for a major acute hospital on the mainland and has additional and quite substantial on costs for capital expenditure at the very beginning. And I think what the industry is perhaps struggling with a wee bit at the moment is how to properly benchmark that. So what we found in the design of this hospital, and at the moment we are at the moment of recording this podcast, we are just about to go into our IBA stage three technical design, albeit it's a far more advanced and developed RIBA stage two design than would normally be the case because the procurement approach is different. But what we found is traditional standard healthcare floor-to-floor heights, for example, are all having to go up substantially now because to hit a net zero carbon ambition for an acute hospital, the amount of plant and service coordination is enormous. And therefore, that's a significant on cost to the building 
that wouldn't necessarily have been planned into the original cost plan expenditure benchmarking. So for a whole host of reasons, Monklands is an exemplar design in every sense of the word. And I think will set benchmarks for healthcare in Scotland. The reason I was talking there about the ability to try and create a national vision for healthcare going forward, it's not just a a woolly aspiration that everybody wants to hit. It's the ability to use a major catalytic project like Monklands as the mechanism to be able to do that, to set standards that are actually changing how projects are benchmarked from a financial perspective at the very beginning. It's quite a controversial thing for me to say, I suppose, from the private sector architectural side, but after 30 years of working in healthcare in Scotland, in the public sector, I always kind of felt that inadvertently the projects were being set up to fail. And where they fail is normally the financial benchmarking of a hospital and the quality aspirations don't align really. So the desire is to try and get the capital cost target down as low as possible. So what we really should be focusing on is a whole life costing rather than just that small percentage of initial capital cost and then work towards what the building actually contributes over its whole life. And can its whole life be more than 40 years? Well, it should be more than 40 years. So There's another thread to this, obviously, as in terms of how adaptable you can make the design. And previously, we didn't really get the chance to investigate that in enough detail because the procurement route kind of stopped it. And when we talked about, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but generally speaking, in publicly funded projects, previously when innovation was discussed, it was loosely branded as design innovation or potentially innovation in how the building operates. But what that was effectively code for is how cheap can you build it? Because you're putting it out to tender with maybe three, four contracting-led teams of their own consultants who are then interpreting a loose exemplar design. So they're coming back to the client and saying, here's what you're going to get. Monklands is a different procurement route and is effectively developing the full detail of the entire design and its operation, including all the embodied carbon targets that are in the materials, it's developing that to stage four design. And then it's going out to contractor. And the contractor, in my mind, then does what they're good at. They investigate ways in which it can be built more efficiently or it can be built better. They're not being asked to reinterpret the design or fill in the loose gaps of the brief a wee bit more economically. So it's a really refreshing way of looking at how healthcare would be developed, but also not looking at maybe Monklands as a project in complete isolation, looking at what its legacy might be for other major projects around the country. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic because I've done my PhD studies, my plan on the resistance to reducing the carbon footprint in Australian healthcare design. And one of the biggest barriers that we have for many reasons is money, cost too much, cost too much, which is pretty much the way it would have been in the UK 20 plus years ago. How important is it to have the decision makers and the government and the people with money put their support behind such a project as opposed to give resistance for why not to do it because they don't have the money? How important is that to have the money and to have the 
sustainability is one of the number one KPIs for a project at that early stage, as you talked about? Well, it's very important to have support for the initiative. And I'm not often fair to politicians, but to be fair to politicians at the moment, when financial costs start increasing, particularly in an environment like we have politically at the moment, and this isn't unique to Scotland, there are binary attitudes to political decisions all over the world. I don't think necessarily social media assists in that. It just makes everything worse. And therefore, if there's a perception of failing in public investment in healthcare, then it's a political target as opposed to an attempt to try and understand how can we do this better. So yes, you're absolutely right. Having the fortitude and having the determination from a government point of view to make sure that expenditure is appropriate and an understanding that if you're going to hit a net zero target, are you going to try and do something different for the benefit of everyone in the future, then there's going to be a bit more capital investment for that because you have to pay more for it up front, but it will pay longer. And I think there's an understanding of this now. Where I think we need to go with it, and I'm probably repeating this a wee bit, rather than see that individual project as a result of its net zero carbon ambition is now 20% more expensive than it might have been otherwise, we need to get that knowledge into the next project so that you gradually reducing the expenditure of every project that follows it because it's following a similar path. It's a really clever industry, but by God, can it waste money? And it's determination to try and reinvent the wheel every time. It's unbelievable. What we're trying to argue for is let's raise the benchmark and raise the standard of public sector work. But having done that, a whole series of design components and design uses and design philosophies that can be reused. Yeah. I'm a simple person, David. I can't understand why you wouldn't want to try and take that as a visionary thing. Why waste money every time you approach the next project? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think that's very well said. We are running out of time, David, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and thank you so much to Kepi Architects. You are world-renowned leaders in this space. You are world-renowned leaders in sustainability. People in Australia have been talking about you for quite a while now, and I'm just so grateful and so impressed by your conversation. I would like to have more time with you, but we have gone out of time, so I think we might have to do another podcast in the near future. That'd be good. Yeah, very, very, very impressed and very, very grateful for your time. And good luck for your book as well. I've already ordered it on Amazon. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Australian Health Design Council podcast series, Health Design on the Go. If you'd like to learn more about the AHDC, please connect with us on our website or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. <laughs>